Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Wednesday night I preached a message entitled, Hello, My Name is God. This morning, I want to talk about in the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, very familiar verse of Scripture. It simply says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, I pray today that you would touch me and help me to say everything that needs to be said. Wednesday night, I began hearing this verse, and it may have seemed that we have exhausted everything that could have been said from this verse, but I believe that there is so much more that we could say from this verse and from this first chapter. And I pray today that you would help me to say everything that needs to be said. And I pray that you would open the ears of the people to hear. And I pray that you touch their hearts to receive. And I pray, God, today that you would change our lives. And when we leave, we can say it's been good to be in your house. And Father, we will bless you for everything that's accomplished in this place today. For we ask it in the name that's above all names, the name Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, Amen. The Bible begins with God. And immediately you have to come to an understanding. You have to come to the conclusion that this book is a book that isn't about us. I'm afraid that one of the biggest mistakes we make concerning the Bible is thinking that it's a manual on how to fix our lives and make our lives better. And certainly there are topics and subjects that can help us to do better and even be better. But the truth is, the Bible is a book about God. The Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. Every character, every genealogy, every command, every story points to Him. And the irony is that when you see that, that will fix your life. Or I could say it like this. The point of the Bible is not to tell you how to fix your life, but to fix your eyes on Jesus, to fix your eyes on God. And when you get your eyes on Him, His power will begin to fix your life. Amen? You see, if you'll get your eyes on Him, He'll begin to work in your life. Amen? Here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're brought face to face with the fact of God. Moses doesn't debate. Moses doesn't argue. He simply states, in the beginning, there was God. And so this morning, I want to give you five truths about the God that we serve. Number one, God exists. God exists. The first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God are the foundation of everything else that we believe. If we can believe these four words, we'll have no problem believing everything else that follows. I said this Wednesday night, but I have to say it again this morning. If you can believe in the beginning God, you'll have no problem believing that He created everything else in six days. If you can believe in the beginning God, you'll have no problem believing in Noah and the flood. You'll have no problem believing that there was a man named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll have no problem believing that God made the walls of Jericho fall. You'll have no problem believing that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life. He died and three days later rose again and one day He's coming back for us. You'll have no problem believing what this book says if you can believe in the beginning 
God. Because those four words are the foundation of everything else we believe. These four words declare that God exists. But notice, Moses doesn't give us an origin. He doesn't give us any background information. He just tells us that God has always been. He goes into the dateless past and tells us that before anything else began, God always existed. He doesn't leave room for debate. He doesn't leave room for discussion. He declares emphatically and without reservation that in the beginning God existed. Now that goes against public opinion, doesn't it? Some would say that is subjective. The atheist and the agnostic will argue that there is no such thing as God. The scholar, the skeptic, and the scientist will say that you can't prove the existence of God and they'll say that we're here by random chance or because of evolution. But I'll say to them, you can't prove to me that God doesn't exist. Because no matter how intelligent you are, you don't know everything. And out there in the realm where you don't know anything, there is a possibility that there is a God that exists. And call me naive and call me foolish, I choose to believe that there is a God that exists. Amen? I choose to believe that there is a God in heaven and that He has always been, that from everlasting to everlasting, there is a Creator, there is a Designer, and He is Elohim, He is Jehovah, and He is Lord. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Moses basically draws a line in the sand, and you either believe it or you reject it, you accept Him or you deny Him. In the beginning God existed. You see, one thing that you'll find in the Bible is that the Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. It just says He is. It never tries to prove Him. It just says that He is. You see, you must choose to believe God. That's why Hebrews 11, 6 says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe what? That God exists. This is a faith walk. This is a faith journey. It takes faith to believe that there is a God. But let me just tell you this. If a person is a humanist and believes in evolution, you must believe that by faith. In fact, I would say it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a Creator. So preacher, you don't believe in a big bang? I do, but I believe it was when God spoke. (laughs) And it came into being. You see, the Bible teaches that God's existence is evident to everybody. Whether they accept it or not, the Bible teaches that God has made Himself known. Romans chapter 1 verse 19, 20 in the New Living Translation says this, They know the truth about God because God has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. 
The heavens declare the handiwork of God. Isn't that what your Bible says? Nobody will be able to stand before Him and say, I didn't know. People will be without excuse. God exists and He has made Himself known. But the second truth I want to give you today is this. God creates. God creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Two things we learn from creation. First of all, He's a God of order. He's a God of order. Genesis 1-2 tells us, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, the earth was a wasteland and a place of nothingness, but God brought order where there was chaos. God took that which was nothing and made it something. He took what was purposeless and made it purposeful. God took that which was out form and empty and gave it both form and substance. He is a God of order. But secondly, He is a God of power. God's creation displays His divine power. Throughout the first chapter of Genesis, you find the words, And God said... In fact, those words appear seven times in the first chapter. In verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, and verse 24. God spoke seven times and something was created. God spoke and the world came into being. He spoke and there was nothing in existence, but He spoke and something came into existence. God said it and it happened. He didn't labor, he didn't sweat, he didn't toil, he didn't have to get down on his knees and work with his hands, he didn't break a sweat in creating the world, he didn't plant seeds for trees and flowers to grow, he didn't have to get down and try to form anything with his hands, he simply spoke and trees began to spring up, he spoke and flowers began to bloom, he spoke and this world came into existence. By His powerful Word, He created the Word. And guess what? By that same Word, He's still holding it all together. Do you know it's been proven by science that the words we speak are still carrying on the sound waves. So when God spoke back then in the beginning, what He said is still going on. Holding this world together today. In fact, one of the camp meeting speakers said this, that he knows a guy that works, I believe, for the FBI or something, just just some kind of agency, that his job is to go back, and, and I may not be explaining it exactly like he said, but his job is to go back and pull conversations out the air from years past. Cell phone conversations. Now think about that. That there's technology out there that can grab words that we've spoken in the past out the air. And that's this guy's job. Because sound waves are still traveling through the air. Makes you want to think about words we've spoken in the past day.
That's why the Bible says, let me just veer off from a. That's why the Bible says that we're going to give an account for every outer word that we've spoken. Words are powerful. You see, God spoke it into the existence, and that same word's still holding everything together. That's power. Amen? Psalm 33 9 says, He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Our God is powerful, and creation demonstrates how powerful He is. And I said this Wednesday night, I've got to go down and say this again because there are those of you here this morning who need to hear it again. When He speaks His Word into your life, it has the power to change your life. That's why you need to get the Word of God inside of you. That's why you need to read it daily. That's why you need to hear it preached. Because when you hear the Word of God spoken over your life, it can change your life. Isaiah 55 verse 10 and 11 says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without rewarding the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is powerful and it will work in your life. God speaks through the Word, and if you will receive what it says, it will change your life. Through hearing His Word, you can receive your healing. Through hearing His Word, you can get your miracle. You can get your breakthrough. Through hearing His Word, you can receive guidance and wisdom you need for the turnaround in your life. Through hearing His Word, you can build your faith to believe for greater things. I'm telling you, if you'll learn to receive the Word of God when He speaks it into your life, you can see miracle after miracle and you can see things turn around and happen instantly in your life. If you'll hear God speak and get a word from Him. You can see God do miraculous things in your life if you'll get a word from God. That's all you need is a word from God. That's why it's important just to put the word of God inside of you. Because all you need is a word. See, if you're not taking the time to read God's word and listen to it being preached, you're missing out on a lot of what God wants to say to you. And when you miss what he says, you're going to miss out on what he wants to do. Let me say that one more time. When you miss what God says, you're missing out on what God wants to do. The first miracle that Jesus ever performed, it was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And Mary told the servants, whatever he says, do it. But if you miss his instruction, you can't do what he says and you don't get your miracle. Write this down. Divine interventions come from following divine instructions. Divine interventions come from following divine instructions. Some of you need God to move in your life. Some of you need God to turn things around. Some of you need a miracle. You need divine intervention. Well, you've got to hear what God says. You need a divine instruction. And if you'll listen to a divine instruction and follow it, you'll get a divine intervention. That's the power of God. That's the power of His Word. He creates things. He creates things out of nothing. He calls things that be not as though they were. 
But you got to hear him. That's the power of God. Let me move on because the third point goes right into what I'm saying. God speaks and it happens. He spoke with His Word. He spoke it all into existence, which means when He speaks, something happens. Throughout chapter 1, you find the words, and it was so. And it was so. In fact, it shows up six times. God said it, and it was so. In other words, what God says is going to happen, happens. When God said, let there be light, there was no way light wasn't going to happen. Because God said it. Amen? Does that make sense? When God said, let the seas be filled with all kinds of sea creatures, there was no way that the sea wasn't going to be populated with sea creatures because God said it, it had to happen. Let me explain it like this. If God says it, it can be trusted. This means that we can trust His Word. Every promise that He has spoken can be trusted. Every promise that He has given to you will come to pass because what He says happens. Some of you here today, you have a promise from God and you're wondering, is God going to keep His Word? Listen, God speaks and it happens. It may not be as quickly as we want it to, It may not be as fast as we want it to, and it may not be the way we want it to, but when God speaks, it happens. If God has given you something, if God has told you something, you better hold on to it because God is going to make it happen. God is as good as His Word. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human, that He should lie, not a human being, that He should change His mind. Does He speak and then not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? Listen, God will do what He said He would do. Amen. God is faithful. You need to find out what God has said and hold on to it because He will do what He said. You may not be able to trust everybody else's Word, but you can trust God's Word. You may not be able to depend on your family and your friends, but you can certainly depend on God. You may not be able to trust everybody else's handshake and their word on it, but you can stand on God's word and what God has said. If God has told you He's going to come through, you can take it to the bank because God is going to come through. You may not be able to take what everybody else has promised to, but you can certainly take what God has promised to. God will do what He said He would do. He is faithful to keep His word. But here's the fourth thing I want to give you this morning. God does what is good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 says, says, says this. God saw all that He had made and it was very good. God looked over all that He created and declared it to be good. And I would submit to you that it was good because God is good. God can't do anything bad. Because He's good. You see, God in His goodness created this world and everything in it. And when He made it, He made it good. He made it perfect. And I want to tell somebody this morning that what God wants to do in your life is good. God has good plans for your life. And the will of of God for your life is good. 
Sometimes we have this idea that well, what, I'm, what I'm going through, that God put this on me. No, God didn't put nothing on you. God allows things to happen. But if what you're going through is bad, God didn't put it on you. Hear me and hear me well. God didn't put it on you. Because what God does is good. Amen. Because sometimes we've been taught this thing, well, I'm sick because God's trying to teach me into something. No, what God does is good. Amen? What God does is good. God allows things. Let, let me just say, let me be very careful about what I'm about to say. I understand the sovereignty of God. And we've all been taught that God is in control. You've heard me say it from this pulpit probably hundreds of times that God is in control. And I believe in the sovereignty of God. But let me just say something to you real quick. God is in charge, but He's not always in control. He's in charge, but not always in control. Because the will of God don't always get done. Because the Bible says that Satan's the God of this world. Read your Bible. God is in charge, and He can step in any time He wants to. He's in charge, but He's not always in control. Think about it. If He were always in control, millions of babies wouldn't always get aborted. People have choices. But what God does in our life is good. He allows things to happen. And sometimes by our own choices, we bring things into our life. And when we do stupid stuff, we can't blame God for it. Because the Bible says, let no man say when he's tempted or tested, don't blame God for it. That's what James 1 says, don't blame God for it. For God tempts no man. Isn't that what it said? James 1.13, read it. God wants to do good things in your life. Romans 12.2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does it say about the will of God? It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And so I want to say something to you. If what you're facing right now isn't good, then God isn't done. Can you give me scripture to prove that, preacher? Romans 8, 28. All things, we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love Him. God wants to work everything out what for your good. So you've got to hold on. Because God's not done yet. In other words, stop complaining about what you're going through because God's not done yet. But isn't that what we do? We face a crisis, we face a trial, and we start complaining. God, where are you? God, why did you allow this? 
God's not done yet. God's got something He wants to do even while you're going through it because God has a good plan and God has a good purpose. And He'll take your mess and He'll give you a miracle and do something good out of it. Because what God does is good. You see, God has a hope and a future for you. And the Bible says what He makes all things beautiful in His time. What God does is good. The final thing I want to leave you this morning is God is the only God. What did Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 say? In the beginning, God. Notice it didn't say in the beginning, Buddha. In the beginning, Confucius. It doesn't say in the beginning, Muhammad. In the beginning, Allah. Moses says, in the beginning, God. The God of the Bible is the only God there is. There may be lots of idols, there may be lots of false gods that people worship, but there's only one true God. Some may argue there's no God at all. As I've already mentioned earlier, Atheists and agnostics will say there is no God, but the Bible calls that person a fool. Twice, in fact, calls that person a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. However, I believe in the God of the Bible. And I believe that there is no other that can compare to Him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, But for us there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. There's one God, the Father. Deuteronomy 4, 35, You were shown these things so that you might know the Lord is God. Besides Him, there is no other. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Hear me and hear me well. I'll shout it from the rooftop. There is only one God. Not many gods. There's one God. And it's the God of the Bible. It's the God we read about in Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God. Elohim, Jehovah, He's Adonai, He's Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. He's the soon coming King. His name is Jesus. He's El Shaddai. He's Jehovah Rohi. He's Jehovah Jireh. That is God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the only God that there is. Amen. Could we give Him praise this morning? Can we put our hands together and worship Him? So in closing, how do we take what we've heard today and apply it to our lives? Just got one thing to give you in closing. How, how do we take everything we've heard and wrap it all up? It's simple. Put God first in your life. You put Him first. Since God is superior to us and His ways are higher than our ways, 
since He knows better than we know, we put Him first. We owe our lives to Him. Amen? And so He deserves to be number one in our lives. We know the first commandment of God's top ten is, You shall have no other gods before me. Hear me well. God doesn't want any competition. God's not going to play second fiddle. God's not going to come in second. In fact, how many has ever seen those crazy bumper stickers that talk about God's my co-pilot? God's not going to be your co-pilot. He's going to be the pilot. He come to take over. He wants to be first. And we need to just make sure that we put Him first. And if you'll take care of putting God first, everything else will fall into place. Amen? Would you stand with me all over the house?